Uh, my name is Kimberly. Um, I work as a business development professional um, in the tech industry, uh, mainly in software. Where do I worship? Um, I am a regular um, member of New Beginnings Uniting. I have been for almost two years. I lead a women's Bible study at uh, NBU, and I also um, help when I can with the young adults. Um, and uh, I, I help um, Simon, Carrie, and Caleb sometimes with uh, reading the Bible on Sunday mornings. So one of the ways that God has used me, um, I think, is in my friendships with other people. I've become friends with uh, many people who are not Christian, so some who are Hindu, Buddhist, um, Muslim, um, and I have long, intense conversations with these people, some who, who are struggling with their faith or don't know what to believe, and I think because I approach it from a standpoint of sort of uh, respect and I ask a lot of questions, they feel empowered to ask questions as well. Um, I think I've been very lucky in that something that is a gift God seems to have given me, I can use when my friendships with people. One time where this has actually come to fruition is um, a, a teenager who I was friends with in high school. Um, his name is Phil. Um, him and I became close over a couple of years and then he went off to university and so did I and both of us were struggling with the first year of uni so we corresponded a lot uh, back in the day just by email. <laughs> there were no cell phones or text messages. <laughs> um, and so I only saw him I think once or twice that year. He went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and um, we, we were still best friends regardless of the fact that we went to two schools but um, he was a staunch atheist, really into science, didn't believe in anything. Um, uh, an American guy with a Chinese background, and I think he just really, he always was questioning things, but I sort of inspired in him a curiosity to know why God either existed or didn't exist. And uh, that particular year, some difficult things happened for him. And so the end of that year, we spoke and he said, you know, I'm really struggling, Kimmy. Uh, you know, I, you know, I'm glad we're friends. And I said, absolutely. Um, and he didn't become a Christian for another year after that. But when he did, I think it was between one to two years after he approached me and said that I was actually a key reason why he felt compelled to pursue it, that he wanted to know, that, you know, he wanted to know who God was. And that's a pretty special thing to have someone tell you, you know, I don't feel that I was the person, but I was one, you know, stopping point, one marker that God used to point him in the right direction. And that's a pretty uh, powerful thing. Well, good morning. For those who don't know me, my name is Cameron. I work for the Uniting Church, but I work for our state body at North Parramatta. And I actually call New Beginnings Uniting Church home, although you may not know that because I'm rarely here. In fact, this is the first time I'm here uh, live. I'm normally online, so a really good morning, whichever camera it is, to those who are with us online. I'm normally one of those six people that are online. Uh, but Simon has asked me to come and share with you this morning. I really want to thank him for that and thank you for allowing me to be here. Kimberly. thank you for reading that Bible passage. I'm so sorry I gave you Acts chapter 2 
All I can hope is that Simon gave you plenty of notice because I gave him plenty of notice when I realised that would be the Bible reading. It's my worst nightmare, that Bible reading, and I'll share why in just a moment. Uh, But as we come to God's Word, let's come before Him in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we thank You for Your Word because Your Word so clearly teaches us who You are. And in light of who You are, it teaches us so clearly what You want from us, Your followers. And so this morning, Lord God, as we unpack the story of Peter a little bit, one of your followers in the New Testament, I pray that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, challenge us, convict our hearts, transform our minds, make us more like Jesus. For we pray these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. Friends, I wonder, have you ever failed so monumentally, that you wonder if you could ever recover from that failing. I actually could share with you numerous stories about how I have failed in ministry, but this morning I've chosen to tell you about the time I read that very passage, Acts chapter 2, in front of 1,500 people and failed monumentally. Now, you need a little bit of context before I share why I failed so badly. Firstly, you need to know about me is I have a condition called dyspraxia. Now, you probably haven't heard of that condition, but I'm sure you've heard of the condition dyslexia, right? With people with dyslexia, they they find it hard to read because the words become confused on the page. Well, dyspraxia is very similar, except words become confused in my mind. And that plays out really in two ways. You can tell me a word and I'll hear you tell me that word and I will say back to you that word and it will sound the same to me but it will sound completely different to you. Let me give you an example of that. We, we spent, my wife and I spent some time in Kiama and up the top of uh, Kiama is uh, the Southern Highlands and one of the towns in the Southern Highlands is Robertson. Now for the longest time, I was calling it Robinson, Robinson. And my wife would say, no, it's Robertson. And I'd say, Robinson. And she'd say, no, 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 it's Robertson. And she had to say, what's my father's middle name? And I said, Robert. So it's Robertson. And only then could I hear the difference between Robinson and Robertson. That's my dyspraxia. The other way it plays out is if there's unfamiliar words to me, I find it very, very hard to pronounce them. Or if your name is not familiar to me, like Simon, I've met other Simons before, so that's easy, Kimberly, you know, it's a familiar name to me, so I've met other Kimberleys before. But if you've got an unusual name, then I find it really, really hard to remember that name and to pronounce it back. So you can imagine Acts chapter 2, with all those nations in there, is particularly difficult for me. But the third thing you need to understand before I, uh, I, the second thing, sorry, you need to understand before I tell you why I failed so badly is I'd just been appointed youth minister at Menai Baptist Church. Uh, We we had this combined service on Pentecost Sunday in April 
Uh, and I had only been appointed that February. So I was two months into this new role as a youth minister at Menai Baptist Church. And the last thing you need to, to realise is that the churches in Menai, you know, the Uniting Church, the Baptist Church, the Anglican Church, the Charismatic Church, it's a Catholic Church, all came together once a year on Pentecost Sunday, this particular Sunday. They would come together and they would have a combined service at Menai High School. So there I am as a new youth minister at Menai Baptist Church, walking into Menai High School for the first time at this combined service. And the organisers of this combined service were in a bit of a panic because the Bible reader had called in sick only moments before I'd walked in. And they said, oh, Cameron, Cameron, can you please read the Bible? And I wanted to impress my new church, right? I said, yeah, sure, I'll read the Bible. I've done that before. I'm an experienced minister. I'll read the Bible. I only had been appointed two months, but I thought I was an experienced minister. Bible reading was Acts chapter 2. I had never read in public Acts chapter 2. I had not read that passage before that day either to be prepared to read that Bible. I get up on stage and start reading Acts chapter 2. And the first... Six or seven verses are okay, but when you get to verses, I think it's eight, nine, ten, they start going through those nations of people from those nations. Oh, friends, it was an absolute disaster. It was a train wreck. I couldn't pronounce any of those words. And, and you know, most people in that situation would be able to fudge it. I was getting nowhere near what those nations were. It was an absolute train wreck. What made it worse is halfway through that Bible reading, the person organising the, the combined service whispers to me, Cameron, Cameron, slow down, you're ahead of the video. And what I hadn't realised was behind me, as I'm reading the Bible, there is a dramatisation of the Bible verse behind me. And, and so here I am reading the verse and then having to turn around and see if I was ahead or behind the dramatisation of the Bible verse. Friends, it was a disaster. It was horrendous. It was an absolute train wreck. And I honestly felt that day, I wondered if I would ever recover from that failing. I wondered what my boss would say. I wondered what the leadership council at Menai Baptist Church would say. It was horrendous. I just wanted the floor to swallow me up. Have, have you ever failed so monumentally that you wonder, can I ever recover from this? Well, this morning here at New Beginnings Uniting Church, we are concluding our series in Who? Me? God Cause Unexpected People. And given that it was Pentecost Sunday and that my, my monumental failure uh, happened over 20 years ago and I'm now over it, or hopefully I'm now over it, I thought I would look at this passage again in Acts chapter 2. But before we get to that, let me remind you of who this man Peter is. And by doing so, let us recognise that being called by God doesn't mean we won't fail. Being called by God doesn't mean that we aren't immune to failing. We first uh, get introduced to Peter in Luke chapter 5. He's originally called Simon. Uh, he's a fisherman and he's out fishing on a boat 
And uh, he and his mates have been fishing. They're professional fishermen, right? This is what they do for a job. And he's been fishing all night and he hasn't caught anything. His friends haven't caught anything. And then this man comes on the beach and shouts out to them, hey, why don't you throw the nets on the other side of the boat? Friends, that would be like me, who is a backyard cricketer, telling Steve Smith, why don't you turn your body a little bit? You might improve your batting. Like, how insulting for these fishermen to have this guy on the shore saying, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. I don't know why they would have listened to him, but they did. They threw their nets on the other side of the boat and they haul in this huge catch. And then they go to shore and Jesus says, you guys are fishing, fishermen, but I am going to make you fisher of people. Come follow me. And so they do. They follow Jesus. But even in the first instant we meet Peter, he fails, right? He fails at his profession. He's meant to be this professional fisherman and he can't catch any fish. Next time we see Peter, the story you might remember, in in Mark chapter 6, they're all on a boat again. There's a huge storm brewing and and all around them and, and the boat's getting rocked side by side. And there's Jesus just casually walking on water past them. And Peter sees this, sees Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, if that's you, call me out of the boat. And Jesus says, come, Peter. And so Peter steps out of the boat, gets a few steps on the water, looks around, realises where he is and starts to sink. He says, Jesus, save me. And Jesus pulls him out. Yet again, Peter fails. Or Mark chapter 8. They're all walking down the road. And Jesus says, so tell me, disciples, who do people say I am? Someone says, oh, some say you're a prophet. Others say you're Elijah. And and Jesus says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not really concerned about what other people are saying who I am. Who do you say I am? And the disciples fall silent. Except for our good old mate Peter. Peter says, you're the, desire, you're the Messiah. Jesus says, Peter, you're spot on. I am the Messiah. Now let me tell you what's going to happen from here. We're going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to nail me to a cross and I'm going to die for you. Peter's like, whoa, it's a bit heavy, Jesus. They're not going to do that. You're the Messiah. And what does Jesus say to Peter? rather harsh. Get behind me, Satan, for your mind is on earthly things. Mine is on heavenly things. Yet again, Peter fails. I love Peter. Do you know why I love Peter? (laughs) Because he fails time and time and time again, and yet he picks himself up and he goes again. But even Peter must have thought his life and ministry was over with what happened in Luke chapter 22. Jesus is celebrating a meal. It's right before he's about to be crucified and he's celebrating a meal and he's sharing with all his disciples and he says, one of you are going to deny me. And they all go around the room, is it me, Jesus? And Jesus is like, no, it's not you. And then Judas says, is it me, Jesus? And Jesus says, yes, it's you, Judas. And Judas goes and he says, you're all going to abandon me. All my disciples will abandon me. And of course, Peter steps up again, doesn't he? I'll never abandon you, Jesus. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. 
I'm going to be there right with you. Jesus looks at Peter, says to Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. Peter's like, no way. No way, Jesus. And then we read this in Luke chapter 22, verse 54. Then they seized Jesus and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, Suddenly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Friends, how does Peter recover from that? He must have thought his life was over. He certainly must have thought his ministry was over. How does he recover from that? How does he recover from that monumental failure? Most of us at some point in our life have felt like we have failed Jesus so monumentally that we must have thought, how do we ever recover from that? How can we ever pick ourselves up again? All of us have felt that right, right? All of us have. And over time, when we've failed Jesus, when we've failed, we, we become fearful of actually failing. You know... The fear of failing is not innate in you. It is something that we have learnt. And I know this because I was in church one morning where this one-year-old girl was eating a piece of bread that her mother had given her. It was in one of those, like, soldiers cut in in strips and this one-year-old girl was eating this piece of bread and, of course, as uh, often is the case with little children, she taken too much into her mouth and she started to choke. And uh, this wasn't your average sort of choke. She was tearing up, you know, (laughs) and the mother's tapping her on the back. And then she spewed all this half-eaten soggy bread into her mother's hand. And and I I was fully expecting the the one-year-old child to start bursting in tears and, and, and causing a scene. But instead, she did something that was really remarkable. She smiled and took that bread back into her mouth, that really gross, soggy bread back into her mouth. She didn't even think twice about trying again. That's what little children do, right? When they fail, they just simply get up and try again. I love this meme. Uh, If we can bring that meme up. Whenever I get discouraged and want to quit something, 
I remember the words of my three-year-old after she puked up carrots all over the living room, <laughs> living room floor. We're going to need more carrots. Don't you love that? Don't you love the attitude of children? Friends, as followers of Jesus, we need that sort of attitude. When we fail, we need to get up again and go again. Because when you're called by Jesus, that doesn't make you immune to failing. In fact, if you are called by Jesus, you're likely to fail and fail and fail. And we need to pick ourselves up and we need to go again. There's a science teacher by the name of Mark Roper who undertook an experiment with uh, 50,000 of his followers. He said to his YouTube followers, I want to do this experiment and prove uh, that anyone can do basic computer programming. And so he gave them this simple uh, computer programming exercise. Only what he hadn't told them was that there was two groups of people. The first group of people, when they failed the exercise, uh, they would have 200 points, 200 meaningless points, right? These points didn't mean anything. 200 meaningless points, and they would stay uh, 200 meaningless points. The second group of people, he, he, uh, he, he did exactly the same thing, except when they failed in their attempt to, to program the computer, they would lose five points every time. And it was amazing the difference that made. Like meaningless points, right? These points meant nothing. They're not fly-by points that you can cash in at the end of the time. They meant nothing. And yet the group who had 200 points and maintained their 200 points right throughout trying to program them, 68% of that group completed the task, right? Over two-thirds completed the task, 68%. Of the group that lost five points every time they failed the task, only 52% of them completed the task. 68% of those who weren't worried about failing, 52% of those who lost points, these meaningless points every time. A significant difference when you're talking about 50,000 people. What was even more remarkable is how many times these people attempted to finish the exercise. Those that didn't lose points, on average, attempted the exercise 12 times. Those that lost these five meaningless points every time they failed, on average, they attempted it only five times. That's what the fear of failure can do to you. It can paralyse you. But if we are followers of Jesus, if we are called by him, that does not make us immune to failing. We need to be ready to fail. And we, like Peter, need to pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off and go again. Being called by God doesn't mean you're immune to failing. And as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't be afraid to fail. And we shouldn't be afraid to fail because God uses failed people. God uses failed pe people. Uh, Peter had failed so monumentally, he must have thought to himself, it's over. My ministry with Jesus, my life is over. And yet in John chapter 21, we read this story of Jesus reestating Peter. 
It's almost come full circle here, right? The first story where Jesus calls Peter, he's fishing and he hasn't caught anything. Throw your nets on the other side and Peter catches a huge amount of fish. In John chapter 21, we have the same story. Again, the disciples are like, what are we going to do? Well, let's go out and fish. And they go out and fish all night and again, they catch nothing. And then Jesus shouts from the st- from the shore, throw your nets on the other side. And they throw their nets on the other side of the boat and they haul in this huge catch. And Peter recognises that it's Jesus on the shore. So he dives off the boat and he swims to shore and there is Jesus just casually cooking breakfast for them all. And Jesus in that moment, in that beautiful exchange, reinstates Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. Jesus says, go feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? No, I do, Lord. You know all things. Then go feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Then go feed my sheep. In that moment, he restores Peter and he empowers him for ministry. Less than two months later, Less than two months later, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples of Jesus in such a powerful way. As we read in Acts chapter 2, there's like fires of tongues. Don't ask me to explain what exactly was going on. I don't understand that picture, but there was like these fires of tongues over the disciples' heads and they're preaching in all kinds of languages. And there's thousands of people who are gathered there, thousands and thousands of people who are gathered there. Peter, the one who has denied Jesus three times, the one who denied Jesus in front of a servant girl, he's the one who gets up and he starts to preach. He says, that man, Jesus, the one you crucified, he is the Lord of all. He is not dead, he is alive and he sits with God now and he preaches. And at the end of that passage, we read that 3,000 people give their life to Jesus. That's not a bad hit rate. I have to say, friends, I've been in ministry well over 20 years now. I've never had 3,000 people come to Christ through one of my sermons. Most preachers would be happy with that. You see, God uses failed people. He uses failed people. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth, a church that is full of these groups that think they are more better than each other. They think they're more spiritual than each other. And they're so arrogant and puffed up. And, and Paul writes these words in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. He said, but God chose the foolish things of this world, the foolish things of this world, to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Friends, God calls the foolish, he calls the weak, he calls those who have failed. That's who he uses. He doesn't use the strong. He doesn't use the wise. He uses us, the weak, the foolish, the ones who have failed. Back in 1993, I was at university 
and I was working part-time at the ANZ Bank as a bank teller. And during the school holidays, the Christmas holidays, every year I would go away uh, with a group of other Christians on beach mission. They're not that popular anymore, but in the early 90s, there was beach missions all up and down the coast. Young people, young adults would come together and they would set up huge tents in caravan parks and they would share the good news about Jesus in that caravan park. And, And I went away to beach mission, but my boss was really, really slack and he wanted me to come back and do the two shifts as a bank teller, two afternoons in in that branch. And on that second afternoon, which was New Year's Eve, two men walked into that bank and held me up at gunpoint and said, give me all your money in your your cash drawer. Now, I I don't know if you've ever had your life threatened, but it it whacks you for a six. It, it, It turns you upside down in so many different ways. Physically, it gives you this shot of adrenaline and you think, oh, that'd be good, but it's not good at all. It's not good adrenaline. It's that fight or flight sort of adrenaline. It puts you on edge for days. I couldn't sleep. I was just so agitated for days on end. And then after that, you come crashing down in such a big way that you, I was sick. I was exhausted. Mentally, I kept going over in my head, what could I have done? What could I have done different? I felt like a failure. Psychologically, I felt violated, like I was not in control of the situation. Let me tell you, that doesn't happen to white men too often. I know there would be people in this room that would know that experience far more than I do, but I felt violated. I felt like I had no control over that situation. I was empty. Spiritually, I had nothing to give. The counsellor who'd come to the, to the, the branch I was at and, and counselled me said, the best place for you is to go back to Beach Mission, be around your friends who can care for you. So I went back to Beach Mission and a few days later, I was scheduled to preach my first ever sermon. It was at a campus service where all the campus would come and I was, I was scheduled to preach an evangelistic service, a sermon. And, and the team leader of that beach mission was very, very gracious and said, Cameron, you're in no shape to preach. Oh, why don't you let me preach? And, you know, everything in me was saying, yeah, you know, don't preach. But the Spirit of God just spoke to me and just said, no, 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 you need to preach. Friends, I, I can't emphasise enough that I was empty I was weak. I had nothing to give. But I said to my my beach mission leader, I will preach. And I preached my first ever sermon on 1 John. And a dozen people gave their lives to Jesus that night. And then for the whole week after that, every single conversation I had was like preordained by God. It was like... He was bringing me into contact with the people he wanted me to speak to. Friends, it was nothing of me. I was empty. I had nothing to give. I had failed. But God chose to use me. Because God chooses to use the failed. God chooses to use the weak. God chooses to use the foolish. Oh, thank goodness he does. Because all of us have failed, have we not? 
And all of us continue to fail God. In Acts chapter 2, we see God empowers Peter, the one who had failed him, because God uses the weak, the foolish, the failed people, people like you and me. You know, I spoke at the start of this sermon about my monumental failure of reading Acts chapter 2. It actually wasn't as bad as I thought. Uh, you know, the preacher got up and he preached on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and he was so controversial that everyone forgot about how I failed so badly in reading that passage. But it wouldn't have mattered anyway, friends. It wouldn't have mattered if I'd failed. Yeah, I was embarrassed. But that's who our God is. Our God chooses to use those who fail. If you are called by God, if you are a follower of Him, you need to realise you are not immune to failing. And that's okay. Because God uses failed people. So let me ask you this question this morning. How would your life be different? How would your faith be different? How would you follow Jesus differently if you weren't worried about failing? New Beginnings Uniting Church, what about us? How would this church be different? What decisions would we make? What would we do differently if we weren't worried about failing? Let me lead us in prayer. Lord God, I stand before you this morning and you know full well, Lord God, that I fail you time and time again. Lord, that I am weak spiritually, that I am foolish, that I do not walk the way I should walk with you. And yet, Lord, despite the fact that I fail you time and time again, you call me, you call all of us into relationship with you. You call all of us into your kingdom's work. Why, Lord, why you do that, I do not understand and I will never understand, Lord God, but I am thankful you do. I am thankful that just because we are called doesn't mean we're not immune from failing. And Lord, I am so thankful, so thankful that you choose to use the weak. You choose to use the foolish. You choose to use those of us who have failed. And you use us for your purpose. You use us to proclaim your good news. You use us to extend your kingdom. Lord, I pray for all of us that when we fail, that you will continue to pick us up and that we would go again and that you will continue to use us to further your kingdom. 
Help us, Lord God, not to be afraid of failing. But remind us, Lord God, of the great and mighty God that we serve. That we might honour and glorify in your life. We might honour and glorify you in our lives. And that you might use us to extend your kingdom. For I pray these things in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen.